Chapter 10 of Conciliatory or Irenical Animadversions on the Controversies Agitated in Britain under the Unhappy Names of Antinomians and Neonomians by Herman Witsius, translated by Thomas Bell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. What relation faith has to justification? Hence we have a convenient transition to that question what relation faith bears in the matter of justification, whether as a certain cause of granting it, or as an evidence and argument that it is already granted. These seem very distant from one another, if we attend to the sound of the words, but the controversy will appear much less when the thing itself, stripped of their ambiguity, shall be exposed naked to the eye, and at the same time it will appear whose phrases are most agreeable to the style of Scripture, which we shall attempt to dispatch in the following manner. Justification is an absolution from sins. Absolution from sins is a declaration that divine justice is satisfied for them by the surety. That declaration imports that the sins for which satisfaction has been made are not imputed to elect sinners for their condemnation, but that the surety's satisfaction is imputed to them for righteousness. The imputation of the surety's righteousness has various periods, and relates either in general to all the elect collected into one mystical body, or to each of them considered apart. For, as has been often inculcated, Christ dying, God reconciled the whole world of his elect unto himself at once, and declared that he would not impute their trespasses to them, and that for the sake of Christ's perfect satisfaction. 2 Corinthians 5.19 For my part, therefore, I can allow that act of God to be called the general justification of the elect. Certainly Christ was justified, then God raised him from the dead and gave the discharge of the payment made by Christ and accepted by himself. And the same Christ was raised for our justification, Romans 4.25. For when he was justified, the elect at the same time were justified in him, in regard that he represented them. Here I choose to add Charnock's commentary on the passage just now quoted from Paul, volume 2, page 321 of his English works. For the exquisite pleasure God took in Christ's sufferings upon the Mount Calvary, he graciously forgot our sins, and of rebels declared us heirs. In this discharge of Christ there is a fundamental justification of them who shall be and believe, though not formal nor actual till they believe. As there was a fundamental condemnation of all in the loins of Adam upon his fall, not actual, till they were in being and did actually partake of his nature, after the same manner christ being absolved as a surety all they whom he represented and whose sins he bore have in that absolution of his a fundamental absolution from all penal sufferings when as a common person he bore the sins of many in the offering of himself and satisfied for their guilt then as the head he obtained the absolution of all those whose guilt he had taken upon him that they should no more lie under the burden of their sins or incur the punishment denounced in the law these things may suffice from Charnock, for what follows is too tedious. Let us return to our purpose. This general, or as Charnock calls it, fundamental justification, is followed by another more special and more actual, which is applied to every elect person one by one. And this again has the following tendency, either that the first beginning of saving grace and spiritual life be communicated to the man on account of Christ's satisfaction in his stead, or that he be declared to be now in a state of grace surely it is not possible that god should be pleased to bless the sinner with the first communication of his grace and endow him with the beginning of spiritual life except on the consideration of christ's merits which he declares to belong to this man in particular 
when he begins to confer upon him those things which Christ obtained by his obedience and death. And thus far it may be said that that man is justified in the first regeneration, that is declared to be one of those for whom Christ purchased a right to life, by virtue of which right he is now raised from spiritual death to life. It is evident that all these periods of the imputation of Christ's righteousness are prior to actual faith, and if you choose to call them by the name of justification, though I doubt if you can with the concurrence of Scripture, surely in this view faith is a consequence, a fruit, an evidence, and an argument of justification. However, justification, according to the style of Scripture, generally denotes that act of God whereby he declares that man has now passed from a state of wrath and hostility into a state of grace and friendship, and enjoys the privilege of the remission of sins and the hope of glory, which maketh not ashamed. Now this justification is of faith, and by faith, as Paul everywhere teacheth, and consequently the effect and fruit of faith, the result of regeneration and effectual calling. Whom he called he also justified. Such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are justified. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, knowing that a man is not justified, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ." These scripture phrases are too evident, proper, and forcible to be wrested by unnatural interpretations. Surely it cannot be denied, but that he speaks ordinarily, if not always according to the tenor of scripture, who reckons faith among the causes of that justification, concerning which the whole of Paul's disputation turns. Now he did not dispute concerning the manifestation of justification alone, but concerning itself. Much more does faith precede the sense of justification and the delights of ineffable peace and friendship with God. But if faith is to be reckoned among the causes of justification, what kind of cause is it? Whether is it a condition of justification which the gospel demands, in place of that most perfect obedience which the law demanded of old? Or is it an instrument whereby we apprehend Christ and his righteousness offered to us in the gospel? To speak freely, the first opinion seems to me indeed to be the introduction of a new law, whereby the most pleasant, the most gracious, and the most glorious nature of the gospel of Christ is not a little corrupted. I do not now insist on Sosinus, who, denying the satisfaction of Christ and the imputation of his righteousness, perverts the whole gospel. I have to do with brethren, who, revering the satisfaction of Christ, and piously acknowledging his righteousness, as the only meritorious cause of our salvation, yet speak incautiously concerning faith. They err, I apprehend, in the following instances. First, that under the name of faith they include the hope of pardon and the love of God, likewise sorrow for sin and the purpose of a new life, and, in one word, all the acts requisite to a true, serious repentance and to an obedience performed to the gospel from a sincere heart through faith, and all these they mean to be something quite necessary and altogether prerequisite in order to be received into favour with God and to be accounted by Him as justified to which assertion I lately opposed my considerations, to which I now add that the most learned professors of our religion in the Netherlands reckoned that the remonstrance, omitting the same doctrine in similar terms, the mask being torn off, attribute to faith the Socinian and the popish manner of justifying, which they prove by solid arguments. See the censure of the professors of Leiden, chapter 10, section 2, 3. So far is it from being true that ever our church acknowledged that doctrine for its own. Secondly, that they would have this faith to succeed in place of that perfect obedience which the legal covenant demanded. 
for instead of it is substituted in the covenant of grace the perfect obedience of christ whereby the righteousness of the law is fulfilled thirdly that they consider faith in that notion and signification as an action performed by us according to the command and by the grace of god in consideration of which he by a certain gracious constitution is pleased to give us the righteousness of christ and remission of sins fourthly that they will have that condition to be demanded of us by the gospel that we may be accounted righteous and innocent before god for the condition of justification properly speaking is nothing but perfect obedience this the law demands neither does the gospel substitute another but it teacheth that the law is satisfied by christ the surety further that it is the office of faith to accept the satisfaction offered to it and by accepting to make it its own and that thus according to the gracious constitution of god revealed in the gospel all believers are justified by faith and this is the genuine judgment of the reformed church which i have elsewhere vindicated at large let us now sacrifice to peace and harmony after we have provided for the truth as britain knows so i wish it not to be unknown to our provinces that all those do not recede far from the truth in this cause who otherwise with some come under the name of neonomians truly candour does not allow nor doth piety permit that we should overlook the consent of some brethren in orthodoxy as unworthy of praise i at least read with great pleasure that clear and distinct catechism concerning justification and justifying faith page thirteen wherein the very reverend daniel williams explained his mind in defence of evangelic truth to exhibit a summary of which at present is both his interest and that of the public he therefore professes and teaches that our sins are pardoned only for the sake of christ's merits and righteousness imputed to us that our faith is not that righteousness on account of which or for the sake of which we obtain forgiveness that god does not by a certain acceptation admit of faith or any imperfect obedience in place of that perfect obedience which the law demands as righteousness in consideration of which he reckons us worthy of the pardon of sins and eternal life as if for christ's sake he had abrogated the law for this purpose for that in this way the merits of christ are excluded as the only procuring cause of remission and eternal life that neither faith nor any other thing in man is the cause of remission in regard that it is the free and generous grace of god that god did not only decree or christ purchase that the elect should be able to obtain remission if they believe but also that they should certainly believe and infallibly obtain remission that that faith to which god gives remission is that assurance in christ my crucified saviour whereby i receive him wholly excluding all his rivals for justification sanctification and glory relying on his merits fulness power and care to perform in his own way everything which he hath promised and which i want not indeed that we receive remission before we receive christ but that we receive himself with all his benefits yet so that i first believe remission of sins is laid up in him for me as well as other sinners provided i receive him by faith that the use of faith to obtain this remission is not that it purchases causes or in any way effectuates it but that it answers to the rule of the gospel according to which god has been pleased to apply to us the righteousness of christ yet so that even faith itself is reckoned among the fruits of christ's death that therefore we do not by faith obtain a right to remission for christ's sake but that the promise of god gives us a right to remission for the sake of christ's merits when we believe meanwhile he rather inclines to call faith the condition of remission than the instrument because he thinks that under the notion of an instrument more causality 
than is just is ascribed unto faith yet so that he easily excuses them who choose to use that word since he believes they understand nothing else but a moral instrument which is equivalent to a condition hence the orthodox are wont to use these words promiscuously he adds it is the office of faith to look to christ and his righteousness to rely upon it and to accept of it in order to forgiveness and that in this matter faith has a singular consideration beyond every other inherent grace but that we obtain forgiveness by faith is not so much from this that we receive christ by faith as that this is the ordinance of god that whosoever receives him his sins are forgiven him to which i now add the excellent words of the conciliatory letter sent to me from england we declare that though regeneration, conversion to God, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and a holy conversation be expressly required in the word of God, as manifestly necessary to the salvation of a sinner, nevertheless none of these, nor any work done by man, nor produced by the Spirit of God in him, is under the notion of subordination, or under any other denomination whatsoever, a part of that righteousness for which, or in consideration of which, God forgives, justifies, and receives sinners into favour, or grants them a right to life, since this is only the righteousness of Jesus Christ, without them, imputed to them, and accepted by them, through faith alone. Thus the English divines who subscribed Daniel William's book. If these things are spoken in sincerity and faithfully maintained as charity, which suspects nothing rashly, bids us believe, truly I do not see that much controversy as to this point can remain. Moroseness is not to be ascribed to virtue, nor should charity be violated under pretense of defending the truth. It is like the severity of a pedagogue to examine all speeches by human formulas. Men of a liberal genius refuse to be loaded with the fetters of rigid critics, whom they consider the offspring of deformity since the scripture describing the relation of faith to justification calls it neither an instrument nor a condition he may be as orthodox who uses neither word as he who uses one or both my judgment is this he who acknowledges that it is the righteousness of christ only wherein we stand before god that it is received by faith that it may be ours and that thus we are justified by faith not by any worthiness or causality of faith as they speak much less by its merit or substitution in the place of perfect obedience but by virtue of the gracious appointment of god whereby he determined that for the sake of christ's righteousness he would justify believers god forbid that i should impeach such a divine with heterodoxy on this account that he perhaps chooses rather to call faith a condition of justification while i consider it as an instrument End of chapter ten